My name is Anastasia. I'm a 21 years old, um, originally from Zagreb, Croatia, Balkan represent, and then moved to the Netherlands around what, like what, four years ago to study philosophy. I also do political science on the side, although I'm kind of realizing that academic philosophy is probably what I'm meant to do in life. So I'm trying to get I'm trying to get into a research master's right now to hopefully, you know, write a write a book about my ideas. Um, really, yeah, great fan of like 20th century continental philosophy. Other important aspects: I work as I work as a I work as an educator. I work in philosophy, uh, which is lovely and helps shape my persona. I am a sunglasses enthusiast and uh, the biggest cat person that you will ever meet. Do you actually own any cats? Uh, I, you can never really own a cat. Okay, so do you cohabitate with any cats? I do not cohabitate with any <laughs> cats right now because my big echoey apartment also prohibits pets. Uh, but I do have four cats back home. Okay. So me and Joel, we, we're both into like VR gaming and stuff. And we, we, we both got, yeah, we, we both got like the same headset at the same time and all of that. And for me, three days on it, and I was, I felt sick every day. That was difficult. But after three days, I fully recovered. And now I can get thrown into the most ridiculously immersive things of zero gravity and, and things that would really make you throw up. And I'm totally fine. But two years down the line, Senor Yoel still has issues. I mean, I only have issues with like specific things. Like... Uh, still, still, the worst thing that's happened to me in VR is there's this game where you fly around and you throw discs and try to score goals, etc. And because of the way the game is kind of designed, your body is designed to be kind of floating behind you. But because it's done, done that way, technically your body can, like, if you fall down you end up with just your neck above the floor and that's, that's a fucked up feeling of like my entire body just fell through the floor and now I'm here with my head. I feel like I'm in my right to feel nauseous about that experience. We're not going to make fun of you, it's okay. Yeah, I I bought this app where there's supposed to be like a realistic painting thing. It's like, mm. in theory, the concept's cool. Like you... You'd get to start painting by press of a button. You don't need to set up your paints. You don't need to clean your brushes. You nothing. You just jump in, do whatever you want, and then jump out. The problem is that it doesn't handle like light touch very well. And I was try- trying to do some Bob Ross shit, and it's just because like all he does is like, like taps and smashes the canvas, <laughs> and it didn't handle that very well. I had a lot of trouble understanding how much paint it was considering there to be on the canvas or in the brushes. The output was horrendous, but I had fun. <laughs> Four out of five. Did you print out not... what you painted? No, no, I didn't. But I took a screenshot. Well, same thing. My phone. phone yeah, pr- the printing well, of the 21st century. We're we're old. You can't say print to us and assume we, we <laughs> understand something digital. Well, here you are, both experts in VR, um, whereas I avoided, like, the plague. So, who's the old person here now, you know? Are, are you calling us old? Is that is that how we're starting this? I mean... 
I was born I was born in this century. So I don't think uh, you can say the same. Definitely not. Definitely I was born not. in this millennium as well. Um there's several yeah, several ones. Yeah, we weren't born in this millennium, not this century. This is what we get for inviting people that are not from our millennium. Yeah. Well. Instantly get called old. Not sure if you can oh. see it. I mean it's that actually it's looks actually pretty good. good. Yeah. I mean if unless you look at it close. Okay, let me send this to the chat because that that gives a better idea. Oh, that reminds me. Do you know that um have you seen Clueless? Nope. Okay, there we go. A generational difference. It's uh this early two thousands movie about like a high school girl. And uh there's a there's a term that she uses there to call another girl, which I absolutely love. It's called she's a Monet. From okay. out far, she looks amazing, but up close it's a real mess. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I said it in the Facebook chat. All right, let me see. Got a better idea. So, so, so Joe, yeah, Joe's just Joe was showing on camera his uh, his beautiful, beautiful painting that he did, and he just sent it to us. It's it's actually not bad, you know. I would say I've never seen I know an eight year old do better. I haven't. Yeah, Honestly. and I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah, not 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 too. Uh, yeah, I, I give it a good five out of seven. I know that that's a reference from the older people. I forget what it means. Yes. It's been explained to me several times. I think isn't five out of seven the highest one? No, so for five out of seven that there was this uh, so th there was this guy on Facebook, uh, like right right wing American guy would post the most random stupid thing, and then one of his friends would always troll him and always kind of push him and question him. And then at one point, and, and so there's this thing online and you can read through all of their conversations and you have like a good 20 minute read and you're just in stitches. Uh, and at one point he says, uh, I went to see this film. Uh, it's really cool. I definitely recommend it. Five out of seven. <laughs> but that's like, where did this rating come up with? Like, is it a good film? Is that a bad film? It kind of really goes into it. And so kind of people took it from that. And so five out of seven is you you're saying it's good but no one has an idea what you actually think of it right okay no that that doesn't ring a bell yeah it's curious how small things can really take off and be used in weird ass context that you never intended them for well i feel like that's like every eyp session with inside jokes you just have some random shit that will happen on the first day and then there will be things that will kind of be taken off and just used throughout the whole thing and then because in UIP, you have the same people who, who try to get together again and again. And so you have some sessions that are just like, I don't know, a third of the people were from that other session together. And then you have all those inside jokes that go into that one. And then bit by bit, these become like a full EYP kind of thing that just spiraled out of context. Yeah, the only ones that come to mind are too inappropriate to say, and even on a what G18 podcast. Like, we, we we have had Joel kind of chat so much shit about uh, about the Azerbaijani government until our <laughs> until our podcast was literally shut down live. It Excuse crashed. Me? Yep. So Joel spoke out about the Azerbaijani government, and then as he did, the page crashed. Yeah, and as he tried to again, it crashed. Wasn't it, it kept twice? doing that until we stopped talking about the Azeris. Oh shit! Okay. 
Um, I mean, pure coincidence, but we'd like to build a conspiracy behind it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to test it again. But somehow, (laughs) I doubt that the Azerbaijani government has like the necessary (laughs) online capabilities of listening into every conversation that's being like held online and then shutting it down specifically when you start speaking out against them. I mean, machine learning. That's fair. You can have bots monitor every record. So now we know the true face of Zencaster. <laughs> yeah, the, the the software we use to record the uh, yes. the podcast. Sponsored by Big I mean, for us it's kind of obvious. We literally see it on our screen, but like, I guess people listen to it have like no idea. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually it's, it's actually kind of an interesting thing because when we first started to record, um, we our, our setup was pretty awful. Uh, what we would say to people is that okay, let's just jump on a Zoom. And everyone take your phone, set record on your phone, put your phone down. And then we try to take all the audios from the phone and bring them together. Um, so the very, very first recording we did, we uh, we learned a powerful lesson, which was let's ask the other person if we're going to do that, to have headphones and not to use their computer sound to blurt out because it also records <laughs> everyone else's sound on top of their voice. So like the editing Joel was a nightmare on trying to actually get through that and so eventually we finally moved to this platform to make life easier such a long time ago we learned from our mistakes yeah how long ago was it start of 2021 no like march okay so like almost two years Mm -hmm. look at you guys go it's been a long while so like dinosaurs getting older (laughs) like when we started people like "Hmm," you know we turn up at sessions people like Oh, so are you here to pick up your kid or, or something, you know? No, um, no, that no, hasn't no, happened. No. It not, could not be. Yet. I don't know, buy a it teacher could. or something, but shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'll say, oh, are you, are you one of the teachers? I guess, you know, that could be the thing. Or also a question like, well, what, what, what are you actually doing in this event? Yeah, those things. But hey, Joel jo, jo still carries on. I think you, you've even got a session coming up soon, right? Oh, yeah. Transstein Rachel on session of EYP Germany. Oh, wow, that came out racist. Okay, fuck. Uh, cut that out. No, Rialdo, you are keeping that in. You are keeping oh, that no. In. Okay. Uh, 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 no. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go no. ahead. Cut it out. Yeah, no. Transstein <clears throat> doing his action. Gonna be fun. <laughs> yeah. I still like. It's it's funny because in, on some level where they're like, everyone's looking at us like, God, I'm your old. And then there's always that one delegate that manages to still mistake you for another delegate. I mean, I would be surprised if that happened to you now. Um, but it keeps happening to me. Like oh, seriously? Ago. Oh, my God. No, that keeps happening to me regularly. But also, I don't know. One of the things that I was thinking about, like, for, for, for a bunch now is just that I've as I as I kind of grow up and as I mature, I, I stop being able to estimate what the average level of knowledge is. So, you know, having finished university, I, I have forgotten what it feels like to be a first year. I forgot what I knew and didn't know as a first year. So that also translates to the EYP context where it's like I don't really know what the average delegate knows and how how aware they are of what is happening around them, what the roles are, who the relevant people are at the session, but also just like I guess, I mean, sure, on a on a on a chairperson level, how much they know about the EU and how much they have researched a topic and what can I even like expect of them. So I guess I guess the the point is that I just I keep lowering the bar 
But with delegates, <laughs> the delegates, it really sometimes shocks me because, uh, you know, it's like you can have a seven day event and they still don't know who the president of the session is, even though he's given a speech twice and I don't know, introduced himself several times. And the placard is right there. Um, so that, that just keeps shocking me about delegates. I, I try not to take it personally, but you're assuming that they're listening. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> or what are they doing that? What are they doing that? What are the kids these days doing? Are they just on TikTok on the TikTok all the time? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think they have those maybe... AR classes that just have TikTok growing on the 24 <laughs> seven. They're not listening to anything. I'm so glad I never downloaded that. and never got into it. Because, yeah, the amount I hear people of just this, like, bite-sized little kind of things always in there. And then, well, I guess I, I do get a little bit of TikTok stuff because I, I um, the, the only social media platform I do is Reddit. So I try not to do Facebook, Instagram, or Snapchat or any stuff like that. Just Reddit. And I mean, because, you know, Reddit, you can decide to, to like, go down whatever rabbit hole you decide to, to go down to. Uh, but I guess a lot of shit from TikTok does kind of make its way over to there. And like the one thing I get really angry with are these like same music stuff that keep coming up. And as soon as I have one, my phone just goes away. I kind of just like throw my phone down to the side. It's kind of like I, I had that period in UIP and I think that was so back in 20, maybe 2012, 2013, I'd, I'd like binged a whole bunch of sessions. And I'm pretty sure that half of the sessions I went to use the same music in the uh, media teams videos and it's like those kind of things where you know people just like take that same sound and it keeps going round and round and round and round and maybe you liked it the first time you heard it but now you just kind of get like a, a, a bad reflex but the kids love it the kids do love it and i think it's actually it's a great opportunity for uyp this is going to be one of my old man yells at uh, clouds moments okay. but it's a great opportunity from Shall EYP. What? Should I hold your walking stick as you go? Into yeah, yes, please. <laughs> Obviously. Sorry, apologies. Continue. <laughs> like, it is a great opportunity for EYP calls to move away from those same damn fucking memes that they've been using for the entire length of this Facebook grouping in existence of sessions. Move on to what is current on TikTok. Make actual personalized content for that session. It doesn't need to be complicated. You make a fucking 20-second video that doesn't take an entire day out of your life. People love it. They've seen, they've heard that audio before. Their brains gotta go bloom, bloom, happy, endorphins, whatever. And <laughs> you'll get people applying to your session. And we get rid of the memes. Just please get rid of the <laughs> Why do you hate so much on the memes? I don't know how many times we've had to have these conversations where as soon as somebody mentions these calls, Joel is always hating on these memes and saying, you know, uh, and now I'm trying to advertise for this session and I'm not going to go into that meme trap of what they're doing there. And like, what, why so much hate for it? I, I, I kind of enjoy them. Well, because it's it's not really good quality memes, is it? It's True. it's watered down. You have to. So, I mean, this is this is something... Um, I avoid posting on sessions like the plague uh, because I uh, also also something that I've gone through uh, while preparing for this podcast. Um, I I am unable to be funny on demand or funny on purpose, and that is my big fear of being seen as like a profoundly unfunny person. I need to constantly recommend myself um, as someone who has like 
a level of wit. Um, and when you're advertising on sessions, obviously you can't really go with your own preferences for humor. You have to water it down as much as possible to appeal to the broadest possible audience. Like what if you post a tweet that is really obscure and some fucking schizo posting? Wait, can I swear on this? Please do. Okay, cool. Please um, do. Some, so from like a random schizo posting group that you saw on Facebook or, you know, it's like a deep corner of Twitter. Um, you can't post that because a 16-year-old is going to read that and they're not going to apply because they're not going to get it because it's not going to appeal to them. It's not going to stick in their head. So you're kind of forced to go with the broadest possible trends of memes, someone that everyone will recognize that has, you know, a semblance of a punchline in there. Um, but that just means that UIP memes get, well, they just they, they just aren't good. Um, there's that one page on Instagram, right, that is like UIP memes that I think has even been dead for a couple of years now. Um, but from the content that was posted there, just like, God forbid, that I see that on my timeline when I open Instagram in the morning, you know, um, and the same and the same goes for sessions. It's just like you want to be funny, you want to appeal to people, but trying to be a catch-all just kind of results in, well, not being funny, and uh, that's a miss. That is a miss. So I, I I get hating on the memes. Okay, yeah, I I feel like this is I have this kind of conversation a lot about more kind of U- U.S.-based TV series where everything kind of get well. A lot of them, probably not all of them, you know, you're always going to have some exceptions here or there, but a lot of them are very much watered down to kind of how do you appeal to the masses? Um, and then any kind of unique storyline or twist has to be watered down and set within the expectations. The hero can't die unless that is the greatest thing that the hero could have done. And like these kind of things. And that's why I start to like move more and more away from those kind of series and more like German series are always so messed up or Korean series or Japanese series. And you just, you just never know where anything's going to go. Your your main character could die at any minute and that's okay. You're just going to have to move on with your life. I mean, that's, that's very fair. Um, I, I think there's still a distinction to be made there. Like I haven't seen too many, well, non-US comedy shows specifically. Um, but if you're talking about like in general, there's also a difference between like a good drama show that gets financed in Germany or Japan and Korea and a good drama show that gets financed in the States. Because, well, with with like U.S. churning out most culture, not saying that it's good culture, but just like most pop culture. Um, I think there's available also like the English language available in the English language. Yeah, uh, for sure. But also just, you know, U.S. hegemony, superpower, like whatever the U.S. does has a bigger impact, I would say. At least, yeah, in the Western world, which is English speaking. So, yeah, you you might have a point there. Of just there's also there's also just such a constant consumerism and constant chase for what you're making to be able to make money uh, that it's a that it's good profit. But that I just don't think that you'll find as much in well European shows or Korean or Japanese shows. It it gets done because it's better. There's less demand for it to be the number one Netflix bestseller the record breaking views the most this the most that you know i'm not sure if i 100% follow well i just think that it's not necessarily that us media is trying to, that the reason why you're moving away from shows is, from like the us is because it's the mass appeal is also generated by like the wealth that it makes. It's not that there's like Mm -hmm. bad ideas there. It's just that the bar is so much higher on it to be profitable as opposed to, I mean, smaller scale productions that go based on value rather than how much revenue it will generate. True. And maybe there's a similar thing 
that in my mind like something came up about like drawing this towards sessions where you do have some sessions out there that like me and Joel, we, we have discussions all the time about ISs and ISs kind of feel like it has to be this thing it has to be within a very specific framework it has to kind of like meet all these things watered down for every sponsor in a certain way um but then there are more kind of like random forums or little sessions here or there that you can actually kind of create a unique twist and no one cares and then you just have like so much flexibility to do all these kind of things so if you kind of have a creative mind and you're like you know let's let's see where we can actually push this thing let's see what we can do then like the small kind of like session style i guess it's kind of similar to more of these non-american series yeah, no, I think I think you're definitely right there. Just like sessions that also just have less eyes turned on them or less high expectations from the network, which also is usually connected into money as in like how big is the budget? How many sponsors do we have that we have to keep happy? In my experience also just like end up being more successful and more close knit, which just allows for the leadership to be able to try out all kinds of fun stuff and for people to just feel more relaxed while experimenting. Yeah, have you had like, have you been in that kind of position where you've had fun experimenting on some stuff and and you've like had the right conditions from the NC and and the rest of the board to do that? Hmm, let me think. I mean, the last sort of thing that I did while experimenting was actually at an IS with a lot of t- eyes turned on it um, and with like a lot of a lot of expectations on it. Uh, but I also wasn't in a leadership position. So I don't think, I mean, mm. what I was experimenting was more like just based on my small committee and not something that's like session wide. But I mean, I have, I have experienced, I have experienced like, let me think. Well, one that comes to mind that I thought was really fun was when that, that app Yik Yak has ups and downs in popularity. Have you oh, ever we'll heard of it? Um, It's a, it's a, I guess the way that it was like, the way that's best explainable is like anonymous Twitter uh, that's region based. So if you make if you make everyone download a Yik Yak and get to it, because it's all happening in one city, you can just kind of see all of the tweets or Yik Yaks uh, from everyone who's posting it. Um, so this is something that was really pushed by the leadership at my first Nats as a delegate. And it was a lot of fun because you just have delegates talking to each other and seeing what everyone is posting and where they are and what they're doing that I don't think, yeah, I don't think would have worked maybe at a, at a larger event with a lot peop- with a lot more people uh, because then you also have to keep advertising and pushing for it more and more and more. Um, and then at some point it just flops, you know, there's like maybe 30 people on it. Um, then the app kind of gets infiltrated by the Yikyak. So also just like regular random people who live in the said city and don't even know there's a session going on there. So that was that was that was that was a lot of fun, uh, and that's something that I think all delegates kind of enjoy. That you could just like get on Yikyak and see where delegates are meeting up and what they're doing, and just the live chat that you have that is anonymous, like during opening ceremony or stuff like that. See, this is the true reason that delegates don't listen to the president when he's introducing himself. It's because they're on Yikyak, because they're uh, <laughs> silent tweeting how uh, his tie is tied in the wrong way. But but then by by introducing that level of anonymity, anonymity. I can't say that word. How do you say that word? Anonymity? Yeah, that word. Uh, So by introducing like that stuff, um, did you find that things were derailed or people started to abuse that or was there any negativity from that? Mm, I mean, it overall went quite smoothly. But of course, there were 
there were some comments, mostly I think like derailed in a way that it's not used just for pure fully PC expression of just like, I am having so much fun at this session. Anyone else up having fun at this session um, was that I wouldn't say that it went into harassment, but it did go into, I guess, a more lewd angle of just like picking out delegates who were hotter to like than other delegates and then like starting to kind of, you know, just, just, I, I feel, I feel like it also made a bunch of delegates stand out because they were being mentioned on Yak Yak more often um, than other ones. So you kind of have this delegate vanking suddenly of someone really describing oh. this one person from Libe a lot more. But it could also be done in a wholesome way of just like someone who had really fun outfits or fun accessories. It also make okay. people kind of want to try harder for attention. But it also meant that if you were a, a more uncomfortable person, that it would also be reflected on Yik Yak and then people would start talking about you and you would notice. So we haven't had, I mean, this was a session before safe persons were kind of an established role. I wonder how, if, if you just like, that's also, I guess, the bias. If there was a safe person, if they would have been approached over, you know, some weird comments being posted about them on Yik Yak. But there's also like an angle of just like kind of like a group democracy sort of thing. You know, it's like it, you're free to express mm. your own opinion. And then you see that some people are, you know, agreeing with you, some aren't. Um, and then you get also get to revise and change your opinion as you go along. I'm just like, hey, maybe what I posted. Apparently, not everyone shares this sentiment. Yeah. It kind of reminds me. Uh, Joel, jo, did, did you have it back in? I'm not sure if they were still around when you joined or not. Um, but the, uh, the the gossip boards or the gossip part of the media team. So yeah, be- yeah, at least the room. Yeah, the gossip rumor boxes. Yeah, definitely. They, they. I mean, they were a thing like well, four years ago. Still. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I, I can't remember when that when they were phased out, but I remember. Yeah, at least on my first, I don't know, four or five years or whatever, every single session you would go to would have a gossip thing. So you either you have a gossip box or a gossip wall or something like this, and then you write anonymous gossip. And then the media team find the sauciest gossip and then put it on a wall or put it in the in the newspaper that they would hand out or something like this. Um, and so like it, it, it kind of sounds like and then at one point they're like, yeah, this stuff is bad. <laughs> like how people are just making up rumors about each other or people are actually going through things. And now suddenly they're being outed in front of everyone and stuff like this. And yeah, so that was phased out of uip and it sounds like this is almost the introduction of a 2.0 version <laughs> yeah i mean i think i've experienced gossip boxes myself uh, like a couple of earlier mm-hmm. sessions um but i guess how how they kind of compared to yik yak is that there's some sort of filtration by the media team right of uh, i mean then there yeah. you have then you kind of have yeah. to rely on on the morality and the decency of the media team to well I, i'm not saying that the media should you know fact check what is going on you can't really stop people from lying or coming up with gossip but especially if it's like sensitive stuff if it's about you know um, people getting together or you know i don't know just anything anything that is big in uyp drama that gets people all riled up and being like oh my god who 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 um i guess the media team could just like choose not to post those post-its on the wall or included in the newspaper but rather go for something that's more general that's more I don't know, a funny story that happened that, you know, that there's um, that even if you are revealing some sort of information that everyone would more or less be okay with it. Although, of course, it's it's messed up in terms of you can't really go to the people because it's anonymous and ask them if they're okay with this sort of information being immortalized in a session journal. 
Um, but with Yik Yak, since it's a public app and it's not really associated with UIP, you can post literally whatever. They cannot find you. You can play it off that you're not even at the session that you don't know who posted it. No one really has to come forward. So I, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot more ways that it could go wrong, which is why I don't think it's used anymore, unfortunately, um, because I had a lot of fun with it. I only had the best experiences with it, but also I don't know if it's worth the risk to just yeah. bring down someone's session experience by so much if they start getting bullied on Yik Yak. Yeah, and you could argue that you could try to make some local version of it or have some, like, not based on region, but based on a group type of a anonymous thing that would then be moderated. But who the hell wants to go through moderating something 24-7 for inappropriate thing? That's just, yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And... uh I mean, I don't know, this was also just, you know, sessions back then also kind of impacts like the content moderation of the apps back then. I don't know if Yikyak has maybe like improved their policies um, and has some sort of AI going through the Yikyaks that you're posting in order for it to not be bullying. Um, but I also don't think that Yikyak is really used in a way that sessions have used them. Um, it's more of like a general thing that you can do wherever that's location based. I know it's a, I know it's a pretty big thing at like uh, U.S. university campuses, for example, uh, where I could also imagine that they would have content moderation, so you don't, you know, bully someone in the dorm right next to yours as opposed to the committee right next to yours. Nice, fair. Yeah, it's always cool to see like how people are using more external tools inside to like to revamp stuff because I guess that. On the one hand, that is the whole idea of the media team, which is to try to somehow create a new experience within what everyone's going through, whether it's documenting the experience or whether it's also trying to help within certain moments to live something new or to be able to communicate between each other to create some kind of social atmosphere. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 I would say that just like bringing in sort of like external stuff into sessions is how the best innovation happens of just when you mm -hmm. when you can pick and choose what you take from the external life and bring it into the session context and like will more or less successfully adapt it. And I mean, all innovation is useful for seeing what works and what doesn't. But yeah, something that something that I've, I've really grown to appreciate in UAP is just seeing how when people stop being, you know, high schoolers, when they just entered UIP and when they come from already universities or their master programs or they maybe already started working how they're taking what they're good at in external life and then just using it to make UIP better um, that's that's how yeah. the best innovation happens and why it's so interesting to see uh, everyone's yeah different degrees I mean there are UIP degrees in terms of just like European affairs European studies political science and that's completely understandable and I mean what I'm one of those people um, but the most interesting conversations I've had were with people who like study STEM or AI or something completely not connected to EYP at all. And then mm -hmm. how their external experience, how, how they're, they're studying of these like advanced fields changes how they see, well, what is essentially a political organization for young people. Uh, I think one thing that's going to have a really interesting impact on EYP, I know Nathan, you've also dappled with the uh, chat GPT which is OpenAI's newest and fanciest language processing model, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. And that is interesting. Uh, the whole tech world is going pretty nuts about it. So basically, for those who don't know what it is about, it's basically a chatbot. You can give it a prompt and it will 
basically try to do what you want. The other day I asked it to list me to a hundred ways of create like a personal creative expression, like self-expression things like list me things that I could do to express myself creatively. I've also used it for, I don't really care, so I'll just admit it here. Uh, I, I was asked by the session that I'm presiding, like some organizer, I'm like, could you make a welcome message for for the teachers to the welcome booklet? I was like, why would I spend time on that? I'll just have chat mm-hmm. GPT write it for me. And it did pretty much, much as good as I would have done myself writing that thing in 15 minutes. It did it in 15 seconds. That's going to be interesting how that's going to, and this going to, similar programs are going to have, have an impact on sessions. Yeah. Oh my God. That's insane. Like I haven't even considered the possibilities of that. You know, it's like I work, I work as an educator. So obviously we've had quite a few open GPT like discussions between just like inside the faculty and it's still ongoing. And I think it's going to, it's going to be a big wave across educational institutions, especially universities mm-hmm. where I guess you're, yeah, the diploma is more competitive of just like, obviously how it can impact essay writing um, how it can impact filling in exams and, and, and the worries that come with that. So, so far, it's not that successful um, in writing longer essays, but it definitely will be in a really well, short amount of time. Well, that's the thing is that if you, if, you know, if you know how to write the right prompts, it can be really successful on the essay. But then it's, it, it's knowing like how to write the right series of them to kind of get it. If, if you ask it, write me an essay on this topic, um, use this kind of language this length it's going to write something pretty crap but then there are like specific ways of kind of going around and kind of working with it through an iterative process in which you can then get it to write just absolutely ridiculous stuff or at least allow it to support you in parts that's going to allow you to be way way more productive in that academic writing yeah no absolutely um i think i'm still well, you know, it's like I, I, I teach philosophy, so I'm, I'm kind of trying to I, I have a bias towards it. I, I think that you could write a pretty successful essay on something that is more technical based or that uses data or statistics that are publicly available online um, that doesn't require that much reflection on, on the on the on the subject mm-hmm. that you're writing on. So with philosophies, from what I've seen so far, it can it can. It can write you everything that there is to know about, like, I don't know, Hegel's phenomenology of spirit, but it cannot really evaluate it critically uh, or find holes in the argument. That's still something that only, well, educated philosophers can do so far. And it's not that great at contrasting different theories, especially if they come from different traditions or from different ages. But again, I do think that we are moving towards it and that at some point it's also going to start like understanding pretty advanced 20th century philosophy. But Applying it to the sessions context, I yeah, I haven't considered that at all. Of just like cutting down TO writing from yeah. a month to a couple of days, resotyping being a half hour thing you do over mm-hmm. dinner, and then you just actually get enough rest before GA. <laughs> Revolutionary yeah. concept. Yeah. yeah, helping delegates do their research as well. I'm just like I think it's it's going to be the delegates who are is going to be the people who are delegates right now who are going to be pushing this. Um, and I'm really excited to see just like how people who will know a thing or two about AI are going to yeah influence the standards we have in the next couple of years. I, I'm so looking forward to the first attack speech done by ChatGPT. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you say, can you rephrase this in a sarcastic tone? Make yeah. sure to sound aggressive. <laughs> copy paste the resolutions, like find flaws in this, 
make me a speech why this why this sucks make it sarcastic and witty well the, the really cool thing is you can think of ways for this for the committee themselves so let's say the committee they've been working on their resolution and then they've got that together and they take that they put it in something like chat gpt and they said okay um can you feedback this this um the things i want you to look at are specifically um are these things actually feasible are they actually going to uh, are they addressing our topic are there things that are missing are there gaps that we haven't filled you can kind of ask it a specific set of things you want to look at and then it will go through and it will give you all that feedback so then you can work on that with your committee or you can say okay can you implement the feedback or you could actually work on it with your committee and then improve it before you actually get into ga yeah i mean call me a luddite in this sense but i'm not sure if that's a fully positive development um, in general, just like with AI, it's like I, I always take a more critical stance towards it. But just like the scenario that you described right now, it just it just it doesn't it doesn't rub me the right way. You know, or just you could have a resolution. Hope, you know, it's like I don't think obviously we could, but we're not going to eliminate the position of a chairperson through through the use of AI. The yeah, the 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 goal is not to produce like a hundred percent perfect resolution. So it's still the resolution itself is going to be human made. It's gonna we're still gonna have like the same process of of of, of you know uh, chairing a committee and delegates coming up with their own solutions. But if someone pulls out their phone with AI uh, over over GA and then comes up with a completely devastating attack speech that just like trashes their ideas completely and says, oh, no, but this wouldn't be feasible because you forgot to take into account this one regulation from 1987. And actually a new study uh, conducted by, I don't know, like Vietnamese researchers at this and this university from 2011 actually disproves what you guys said here. And then it just stops being fun. It's not about being right at the end of the day. Right. So I think I, I think I don't know. I feel like that would be a, it would be a negative experience for delegates who would just get their get completely red and roasted in front of a GA, especially if you put in a sarcastic and witty prompt. Um, <laughs> so you're just coming off as this That's absolute true. genius with a penchant for like also also just being insanely witty. Um, I could see tears <laughs> easily. That's true. And a lot, a lot of times, so throughout all the podcasts with, with Joe, we always talk about how um, how there are so many life skills that we develop when we're in EYP, and because EYP is simulating certain life experiences in such an intense way that it allows you to get hands-on and to develop all these skills. And as we're in this conversation, there's something that's come up to my mind, which is that, well, actually, if if let's say using these kind of AI tools is going to be the way that we write emails, the way that we do research, the way that we do so many different things in the workplace, then actually integrating that into the EYP experience is also helping that, let's say, especially in outreach sessions. So as, as you know, within let's say the tech scene and the education scene, there's a lot of discussions around these kind of tools but in other scenes out there like i've got so many friends i've never heard of it whatsoever and, and then when i start to introduce i start to kind of show certain things you know they're mind blown in that and so maybe this is also a cool way of not just introducing these tools but to help on our now outreach program for people to learn how to use these tools in a really cool way because here it's saying okay how can you with all of your different opinions come together from all different cultures look at an idea look at a social problem and find a way to have your own unanimous resolution on it but you can also use ai tools to help 
you become more productive and to write something that you're more proud of. Yeah, it's definitely going to be such a big part of whatever we do in five, ten years. No matter, no, okay, not necessarily no matter what field you're in, but majority of fields like there's going to be so many tasks that can be just like bypassed, automated. Your your life is going to be so different in five to ten years, especially when we talk about delegates who are just beginning their life. Like I was just at work and uh, someone gave me a piece of documentation like, hey, could you go through this? Make sure it's good. Just give it to GPT and it's going to give you great, great improvement yeah. suggestions. Like, yeah, it's missing this. It's missing this. It could have some more of this, but this then this is good. I was like, well, why would I go through the trouble of reading through that documentation uh, if it's not a necessarily a crucial part, like it's especially like chat GPT also a bit baffles, uh, but not baffles. It, it dabbles a bit in coding as well, which is also one of these things that has been kind of uproar in the tech world. But it's also this kind of thing of like, as a programmer, if you're good, you don't trust anyone's code. And the least you trust your own code. Like you, you have to like the same way you scrutinize your own work, your own thoughts. You need to scrutinize the output of this language models. And that's, I definitely agree with you there, Nathan, that that's going to be a very useful life skill for, for the delegates going from, from, from UIP. Um, that's a, a sh shameless plug to throw in here as well. Is that a next week? I'll be releasing my new book. Oh, <laughs> a, a book! Oh, damn! My new book on the uh, the 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 art of prompt engineering with ChatGPT. Um, so like uh, le learning the skills, learning the whole iterative role play process, and all the different things that you can do with it. But uh, like the reason why I wanted to bring that up um, is that I started writing it last Sunday, so that was eight days ago, and I have so far. I think I want eighty. Yeah, I'm on about 80 pages, maybe about 82 pages so far of fully written, fully edited images, um, all original artwork, fully designed with mid-journey and kind of brought in and reshaped and all of this stuff and then fully layouted in Canva. The 80 plus pages in eight days. And like, if I was thinking about like writing a hundred page book, I would normally kind of, I know, pace myself probably, well, two, three, four months, maybe a year to kind of like think it through to actually build it and stuff like that. But by using this kind of tool, it's just ridiculously increased my ability to like write things and build things really quickly. And like the demand for this kind of stuff, uh, like j j just on up to like one of my trainings that, that I'm going to run and like that one in the first five days of advertising it is sold out. Um, it's hundred person capacity. <laughs> so now I've had to put on like another set because like, yeah, pe people do want to like learn how to use these kind of tools, but I think maybe the big thing, and I, and I think you're, you're right, and Sazio, what you kind of mentioned about the, maybe some of the dangers of, of how we actually introduce it into EYP, because it's not saying let's not introduce it in, because I think there's so many awesome things that people can learn from it and be able to use it outside of EYP in so many parts of their life. And it can be awesome for this. But and you also, can't even block it if you wanted to. Yeah, literally. Because if, if you don't use it, then someone who's competing with you for that job or in that role or whatever, they're going to be using it and they're going to be way more productive than you are. So that's it. Uh, but 
maybe there are some parts that we've had experience in the EYP experience that we've managed to really get that we also want delegates to make sure they also do get. And like coming up with wrong ideas and trying to support it and having it thrown in your face. You know, these are the things that we were brought up in EYP with and maybe sometimes here, or let's say how to refine language skills, how to, maybe there are certain elements in which we also need to think about, well, if these AI tools are going to avoid us from really homing on these skills, are there other ways we can introduce those skills or are those skills actually relevant for us to continue making sure we do learn in EYP? Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, now you're, I, I absolutely love what you just said. Um, I think it's touching upon about like on so many things that I was going to bring up as well, because like you said, Joel, it's just like, there's no way that we can ban this or the way that it can mm -hmm. be prohibited. It's always going to be there. And it's just, it's just about making sure that we have kind of authority over how we introduce it rather than letting it roam, like letting it develop by itself. But I guess I guess I guess I am an AI skeptic or a critic, if you want to say. I think I think that there are many ways in which streamlining the process and making it easier and quicker is often at a cost that will not be realized until later. So I'm trying I'm trying to think of ways of just like that all of the skills that I've learned in UIP could have just not been developed or will be developed less by by the use of AI, such as, you know, it's like doing your own research gives you research skills. And if you just kind of outsource this process to AI, uh, then you do not learn research skills. And this is this is something that Nathan, you also just mentioned of just like, okay, but which skills maybe will just not be as necessary in the future? Is this something that we really want to know? But you know, as 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 time consuming and as costly and as daunting and some, at, at times in, insanely frustrating research is, it also brings along with it so many other skills that are useful, not only in EYP, but also for, for you know, everyday life of just like how to tell apart a good and a bad source, yeah. how to, how to recognize, you know, it's like the proper use of language gives you so much it's like just such a vast more knowledge of different terms and definitions inside a field and yes you can always ask a chat you can always ask an ai to just like provide you with this but i think what it all boils down to is critical thinking skills of at some point there is there the, the ai was also made by someone and you know it's like there's a i mean there's there yeah just so there's so many sayings of philosophy of language of just like that the author never really goes away and never fully separated from his work. Mm. So I always kind of keep in mind of just like, okay, but who is this written by? For what purpose? What is their stance? Yeah. What is their position? What am I being fed here? And would I disagree if it was presented to me in a different way? So I guess the fear on relying on AI, even on these sorts of like mundane tasks that could that we want to eliminate because they they just take up too many human resources and could be done in a more efficient way will it ultimately lead to you know delegates who are well delegates in the UIP context but also just like young adults people entrepreneurs who no longer have the critical thinking ability skills to tell apart okay but this was like a clearly biased source i shouldn't be using this or does am i able to tell apart like a good resolution from a bad resolution if i just if i just you know like type it in okay this was my committee topic okay these are like the values that we hold the ideals this is what we want to move towards of just kind of you know printing it out putting it in a reso booklet not thinking about it and then using using AI during GA to debate those ideas. So it definitely needs a lot of moderation, but I'm 
worried that even with moderation, it's going to become a crutch and that you won't be able to learn how to stand by yourself and yeah, just express your own ideas in a, in a, in a, in a, in a stronger way, you know? Yeah. But there's an, there's an element here, which is that if somebody is going to use these tools, it's not saying that they, that they can just outsource this work to the tool. So for example, there with research, if you want to try to outsource your research to the tool, you can't just say, can you do some research on this topic for me? Instead, you would have to think about how do I normally do research and now how can I get you to emulate what I do? So for example, what I would normally do is I'd go down to the library, um, I'd go to the section where of my topic, I'll pull out a whole bunch of books, I then find in the book where it mentions like the uh, a keyword of my topic, I then have a read of that bit, write down some notes, maybe a key quote or something like this. But because I'm used to doing that process, then what I can do is I can go onto this tool and then I can say, okay, this is my specific topic. This is the approach I'm going to take. Can you list me 10 academic books um, that would be useful for me to read on this? And then it would list it. I'm like, okay, well, with this first one, can you provide me a summary of their views? Can you provide me a summary of the, I don't know, how it, how it relates to my topic? And can you give me four key quotes with the page numbers? And kind of it gives that to you. Then you're like, okay. And you kind of look at it like, this isn't actually relevant. You move on to the next one. And you kind of do the same thing. And I realize, okay, now I have actually all of this content here. Now I can start to look for and build it. But that's still, it depends on how well you are at researching stuff. Will depend on how well you are at using these tools to research it. Just like with Midjourney, one thing I've realized is that my lack of knowledge of um, artistic terms on how to describe uh, a work of art, whether it's 3D models, like I just recently learned the term uh, octane red rendering and stuff like this, the more knowledge you have around the uh, description of art, so the more of an artist you are, the better you are going to be at using these tools, which is my limit. So I actually now need to like learn the art side in order to like learn this tool better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think you're fully right of just, you know, it's also it, it, once again, kind of going back to the prompts that you put in the AI, which will give you like specific results. But I don't think I don't know if I'm fully convinced, you know, because sure, it kind of like depends on also just like the quality of a researcher you are It's just like if you're if you're good at research, you'll be good at researching by yourself, and you'll be good at researching through AI. And if you're bad at research, you probably won't be as good at, at either of those. So it also depends on just like the way that you angle it and the way that you phrase it. And if you know what you're looking for. But it kind of it kind of leaves then the unknown unknowns in the dark. Uh, if you go to a library, you might have you might have a lucky moment of fate where you touch upon a book that you wouldn't have touched upon otherwise because it caught your eye and you're going to discover something and you're going to have this moment of serendipity that's going to maybe turn your research in a completely different way. Well, once again, not really knowing. So I don't know too much about AI. I don't know too much about the coding and like the background work that goes beyond there. But if you ask it, I'm just like, hey, give me like these 10 books. It's going to give you specific 10 books that someone thought would should be included you're not i think there's going to be way less potential for uh, kind of small moments of luck or opportunity uh, because what could have been the mm. 11th book or why are these 10 included and not you know mm. a different one why not this author um why you know and i, I think there's also a, I think there's also a pretty big political implication here especially when it comes to reading especially when it comes to research of just like who's who, at the end of the day what is what is sort of the 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 base that we're not criticizing here 
Um, who, who, who thinks that this should be included and why? And this is what I'm sort of thinking about of just like when it comes to, once again, you know, it's like, okay, research and philosophy, which is what I'm doing right now. Of If I were to type in like, I don't know, 10 most influential philosophy books, maybe influential is a, is a, is a biased word to use here. You could go more specific, but it would probably give me 10 books from you know the European continental tradition that's that's very white that's very dogmatic that's very unchallenged uncritical so it, it was someone's opinion of what influential means yeah. that showed me these books that would that won't give me as big of an opportunity to find out something new that I haven't explored about yet that might change my viewpoint on this altogether yeah but isn't that already then the problem with having google and search engines Thank you. So someone's already decided on what what's gonna come up when you when you search for these things, and sure you can go to a hypothetical library with all the books in the world in it and just start grabbing books at random. But yeah, absolutely. I mean that's a that's a that's a great point. But I think that then again, one of the skills that I've learned in UIP uh, has has been critical evaluation of sources, critical thinking, seeing the different perspectives on different European issues of just like, okay, this is the official EU stance position. This is what a third country thinks about it. This is what NATO thinks about it. This is what civil, you know, grassroots organizations and NGOs think about it. And then you see this kind of like multiplicity of views, and then you're able to see the bigger picture more clearly. And you're able to evaluate like where a certain piece of information or opinion is coming from. And this, I, I guess if and when we start using AI on this like mass scale, including NEYP, so much more attention, in my opinion, has to be placed on constantly, you know, circling back to the fact that this is not Google because Google gives you access to a broad range of opinions, I would say. And there is still some sort of selection and there, it's, it's still biased in some way. It's still someone feeding you like these different opinions, but with AI that can write bigger prompts, that can answer questions, there's a, I, I guess there's a, there's, a, there's a larger possibility of a pitfall of taking it for granted and not questioning it as much. You know, it's like at first, sure, you're kind of skeptical. It's this brand new thing. It's this brand new AI. You're not going to fully trust it. I mean, it still makes pretty basic logical mistakes from what I've seen of not really being able to, yeah, tell apart small things. It doesn't really catch on the humor. Um, some puzzles also confuse it. it. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't really understand numbers, but that will fall back. So, you know, it's like at first we're going to be like super hyper vigilant and really will, 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 you know, it's like pay attention to what, to what we're doing and which words we're using. But I'm afraid that like the longer this goes on, the more reliable that it gets, that less critical things, critical thinking skills will be used of just like, yeah, the first time you're going to fact check the shit out of it because a ghost in this, a ghost in my laptop answered my question. What, what sort of, you know, what is going on? Uh, but then at some point, you're, it's just going to become a larger part of life. It's going to be an app on your phone. And then you just need something real quick. And then you ask it and then it gives you an answer. And then you don't reflect on it. You don't think about it because it's meant to make things go quicker and less painless and, you know, less complicated. And uh, you're just I, I, I think I think we're going to start relying on it a bit too much. And especially when it has this like really big linguistic element like component of just that it that it that it writes really long things pieces that it does your work for them i'm afraid that we're just going to stop reflecting on it as much yeah well one interesting kind of approach to that is to then if we value it highly for example to take 
different viewpoints into account. You, you could use these tools as like, okay, how would you approach this tool from an official EU standpoint? How would you approach this tool, uh, approach this topic from name an extremist group here uh, standpoint? And that's going to be one of those really important skills of learning to use those tools in, in your everyday life, uh, especially when it comes to research. Yeah. yeah. And I guess it's, it's going to take, it's just going to take trial and error in your EYP. And as long as that's the direction we have is saying EYP is a non-formal educational space. We want to develop skills. How do we make sure we're developing the right skills? And we can only do that when we start to develop the wrong ones. <laughs> and we can like make these mistakes and we kind of highlight, we're like, okay, this is messed up. Like with chairpersons, a part of the committee work structure should be, okay, how do I actually look at this topic from different points of view? And maybe, maybe you know, like, like the way that we currently have this, well, I, I haven't been in EYP for a while, but you know, we had like Disney, you had, I don't know, I can't remember the other names of them, but you had like different committee work structures out there. Maybe that with the introduction, introduction of these tools would actually start to develop new committee work structures that kind of emphasizes this side of how do you actually use these tools in the correct manner. And there are going to be periods of time where we focus on using the tools to do some research to get some stuff. And then moments where we put all the tools away, we take that out and then we have a group discussion and we focus more on the morality and that kind of part. And then we kind of build out ideas or something here together. We kind of put it in rough writing and then we kind of like let the AI like phrase it nicely for us <laughs> and to do like those kind of things. Maybe we start to develop these kind of structures. There's this, there's this uh, beautiful meme that I, I, I keep referring myself to again and again because because I like, because I've, I've been writing a, a book on, of course, a book on ChatGPT. I'm going to run a set of trainings on it and all of this stuff. So for me, of course, it's something that's always in my mind. And so when any, any conversation I have with people, somehow it always ends up propping up. Just like, you know, when you have anything, if, if you're organizing some kind of big session or something, and then like, no matter what the discussion is, somehow that will enter the conversation in one way or another, right? Um, and so for me, this has been happening. So like every now and then, like whenever this happens, I just open back up this meme. <laughs> yeah. Just to remind, uh, so, so for the people listening, <laughs> the, does anyone know the title of this meme? No. It's like, no, it, it's in Do some kind of... Do memes still have titles? About like names to refer to them or whatever. But like, okay, uh, in, in the picture, there's this guy who's really enthusiastically trying to like talk to this girl about something he's really passionate about. And she's just kind of like shuddering in the corner being like, how do I get out of this conversation? And uh, yeah, like for, for the past like couple of weeks, I have felt like this guy when it comes to chat GPT. And I was like, okay, you know what? In this podcast, I'm not going to mention it. <laughs> <laughs> and the job went up. So I was like, okay, at least I wasn't the one who brought it up. You know, but I feel like this was the perfect opportunity. We're like a philosopher and we have an enthusiast and we have a me. <laughs> <laughs> we have a me. We have a, a dev. dude. Coder, uh, computer dev. science. I, I think, you sure. know, I think, I think, you know, more than most of us of what actually goes into the work of creating yeah. this AI. <laughs> yeah, I might actually have the best understanding of how the AI in the background works. True. I'm not useless. Yeah. And fun fact for, especially for listeners, um, the uh, the most ridiculous thing is that all ChatGPT is doing is predicting what is the best next word. That's it. 
It does not think the whole structure through. It does not think of a concise response and then tries to rephrase it and stuff. No, 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 no. It's just doing a word by word. The first thing it asks itself is, should I put a next word or shall I end it? And if I should put a next word, cool. What is the probability of this word being the correct word? It's slightly lower. What about this word? And then just looks at a ton of words and a ton of things it could do. So should I put punctuation instead? And then literally just word by word, it randomly decides based on currently 1.1 trillion parameters um, to decide where, which word it should put in. And so all it's doing is predicting things word by word. That's, that's a lot of parameters. That's also crazy. That's also crazy. Mm-hmm. That is such a intuitively wrong writing process. Yes. That's not, that's not how any human writes. Yet it can really? produce better results than any uh, like a majority <laughs> of humans, I'd argue. Well, have you, have you tried that? Like free flow... You probably had this in conversations, right? Just free flow conversations. I have no idea what I'm going to say until the next word comes out and you just continue this way. Or like free flow writing can be really fun where you do not have anything in mind and you just let your hand do the work and like yeah, words absolutely. are coming out. And so and interesting things actually start to come out when you start to remove yourself from it and you just start to allow it to flow. So maybe there are kind of some parallels of like, we actually have this skill, but we don't use it as much as well. Oh, you know, for sure. Um, And I'm really glad that you brought this up because like free flow writing is such a, such a hallmark of, you know, postmodernist literature. But in that, I think that it's an art form, you know, it's, Mm. uh, I mean, uh, Freud definitely used it also to psychoanalyze his patients. It's just like, if you let them write for long enough, it's good. You're going to start seeing some patterns. There's some sort of like unconscious mechanisms that you might not be aware of uh, when you're talking to a person, when you're, when you're in a conversation with a psychoanalyst. But I mean, the, 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 the most, the most that I've known um, from like free flow writing is just like, I don't know, Joyce, for example, right. Of which is which is then considered like James Joyce and like Ulysses is written in free form. You don't know James Joyce? No. You're aren't you is British? That a person? Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> one of the greatest <laughs> writers of the okay. 20th century wrote Ulysses, which is considered like a okay. Google okay, him. James Joyce. Google him. I, Look I, him I, up. He's I, Irish. Okay, he's like, he's... I, 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 so I, I love my literature and stuff, but as a dyslexic, I don't tend to read as much because then it just starts to slow down, and I find other mediums to get my to to, to kind of like dive into this. Very but, fair. Uh, um, yes. No, yes, I'm, using, just... I'm, I'm using my dyslexic card. <laughs> yes, no, if, if this it. if this ends up in the in the podcast, I do hope that at least some listeners know who James Joyce is. But in that, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a super long book. It's an insanely long book. I don't know how, how, how long it is like in pages, but it's, it's absolutely huge. It's like his magnum opus, but in that sort of like free flow writing, which is really difficult to read. So hold on to that dyslexic card. It's difficult even for people who don't have dyslexia. I think in the last chapter, uh, which is like a soliloquy by, uh, by one of the main characters, three full stops are used and it goes on for 20 pages. You know, it, 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 it is literally emulating a thinking process as you would in wow. writing, which is insanely difficult to do. And in it becomes an art form. So even though I think, I think it is a skill that we all have in there somewhere, it's also, it's also quite challenging, I would say. I've tried free flow writing and then at some point I just kind of stop and I go, wait, but what should I say next? Yeah. This doesn't really make sense. Have you heard of the the artist way? 
So The Artist's Way is a, is, is a self-help book. I think it's about 20 years old now or something like that. Um, it's a self-help book for, 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 for creatives who have a creative block. And um, there's, I think it's like 12 chapters and you either do it by yourself or you join a circle. So I joined a circle. So with some friends, we, we did it together. And then the idea is that you read a chapter a week and then you kind of meet and have discussions on it and stuff. But then at the same time, there are two habits that you build. One is an artist date, which is once a week, you just take yourself out on a date, no one else with you, somewhere that will help your creativity, somewhere to have fun, something that you would like just ra something random. So take yourself to an exhibition, take yourself for a nice walk along the river, take yourself to, I don't know, buy, buy some stuff that you used to only buy when you were a kid and just sit in a park and celebrate by yourself, you know, these things. But then the second habit is uh, morning, it's called morning pages. And so the idea is that you write one, one whole page of just free flow writing as the first thing you do every morning. And so you just like, right, right, right. Oh, no, so not one, sorry, three pages, three pages as you get up every single morning and you don't think about what you're writing, you just write, 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 write. And it's, I did find that really, really interesting because certain things come up that you didn't know that were actually inside you at that time. And you start to be like, oh, and then you can suddenly start having conversations with yourself and start seeing where it follows. And sometimes it goes quite dark and sometimes it kind of goes quite nice and these different things. And yeah, it, it was a really interesting process when I went through that. Um, no, that's uh, that's that's definitely super interesting. I don't wanna I don't wanna say it, but maybe Freud was right. Once again, oh. man had a point. Oh, controversial. <laughs> Time-wise, we have gone past the hour mark. I mean, I'm having fun. Like I cleared out the whole evening for this, but I know that you guys have lives, so I'm gonna let you do it.